Okay, according to retailmenot.com, you can get a lot of free stuff on your birthday. They list out 101 different freebies, somebody celebrating a new year uh, for their life that they can receive. Just a small assortment here. Uh, Arby's, you can get a free milkshake, Auntie Anne's. You can get a free signature, classic Auntie Anne's pretzel. Baskin Robbins, you can get a free scoop of ice cream. Waffle House, a free waffle. Ruby Tuesday, a free burger or a free, free garden entree. Um, at B-Dubs, you can get a free order of birthday wings. Do they pluck them off the chicken on their birthday? I'm not sure. Um, Black Angus Steakhouse, you can get a free steak dinner on your, bir- on your first birthday after you become a member of their Prime Club. All this is to say that on your birthday, if you schedule it just right, for breakfast you can have a, uh, a waffle at the Waffle House. For mid-morning snack, you can go to Auntie Anne's. For lunch, you can go to Ruby Tuesday's afternoon snack and get a milkshake at Arby's. Dinner at Black Angus, dessert at Baskin-Robbins, and a late-night snack at B-Dubs. What a day. All of that to set up this. If you look under your seat, you're going to find everybody gets a free car. No. That's not true, especially for those of you at home, unless you arranged that previously. Um, It turns out, though, that when we think of Christmas we would do well to think of the birthday of our freedom. That in Christmas, with Jesus coming into the world, there was something that began that results in our freedom. We've been using Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. We're going to use that this morning to explore this idea. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those. We'll also put it on the screen. And if you do have your Bibles or want to use one of the ones in front of you in the row, Uh, We encourage you to do so. There's going to be some times when we're going to look at a couple of other texts, and you may want to flip back and forth. So if you would, let's stand together, and let's read the Word of God. Let's share in the Word of God together. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Amen. Please be seated. As you take your seats, let's join our hearts together in prayer. Would you pray with me? God, you are the great provider, and we trust that you have provided your word for today, that the words we just read, uh, this piece of Holy Scripture, um, that you would use your word in our lives today to help Transform us more into the image of Jesus. And so we pray for each other in the room, for the one who feels the farthest away from you, for the one who feels beleaguered by questions, or, or the one who is just overwhelmed with despair, and for the one who's full of joy. Whatever our condition, God, would you work in our lives today? To you be the glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we're going to look at that section of those two verses that are summed up in these two phrases, these two uh, subclauses. Born under the law. Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. We'll simply work our way through those words. So let's begin with the word born. You know, last week we talked about born of woman. And we explored the whole idea that Jesus, uh, who is the Son of God, 
the divine one sent in this world, that, that he became human, that he was fully human, that we could even say God was born. Now we know God's eternal, and yet God experienced in the person of Jesus being born human. And so we have those words that may be quite familiar to some that from, the, from John's gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And we jump down to verse 14, we are told, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, if we pause, this might become for us one of those take your breath away moments. Do you have some from your life? You know those moments where, where your breath was just taken away by seeing something or experiencing something? One of them uh, for me is the Grand Canyon. Uh, people I say, well, you've got to go to the Grand Canyon. And I, okay, it's a big crack in the earth and I've seen canyons before. But, and then you go and you see it and it's like, <gasps> wow. Another time was when I went parachuting and my breath was literally taken away from me. There was the time that um, uh, that Vicky said yes when I asked her out on the first date. And then when she said yes when I asked her out on the second date. Uh, and then when she said yes when I asked her to marry me. Those were take your breath away moments. Or when my boys were born and I held them in my arms. I'm sure you have your take your breath away moments. Well, consider this. Among all the different Bible stories, among all the different revelations of what God has done in this world, even creation itself, we get to that moment in space and time when God, the, the Word, the second person of the Trinity, is born in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, this kind of out-of-the-way place, a small village. He was born to a, a, a poor couple. He was born in a place where there was no extra room for him. He was born and placed in a feeding trough. The people who came to take a look were shepherds who were not always held in high regard. Sure, there were angels that showed up. There were even angels that had forecasted, that had told, had revealed that this baby would be born. But when you look at the, at the circumstances it's hard to imagine a more lowly birth. God was born. We know God's eternal and God, God is, is not, but God became flesh. It's one of those take your breath away moments. Unfortunately, most people missed it. Most people missed it. They, they, they went about their stuff. God had told about it happening through the prophets and, and there had been words previous to that moment, but most people missed it. This year, we don't have to miss it. You don't have to miss it. I don't have to miss it. Because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. If that's born, let's look at born under. Born under. It's hard enough to think that God was born. We know God's eternal, but God became flesh, that God was born. It's hard enough to think about that, but then to think that God came under. You would think that God would come above, that God, God would come above and he'd, he'd be in that high position and he would be in a central place and he, maybe he'd be in the biggest town and he, he, he would be for all to see. But God came into this world, the second person of the Trinity, 
born under. Let's say you were given a treasured heirloom. A treasured heirloom in your family, and it may be quite expensive, but even more than that, it has always been of tremendous value to your family. And you, through the, the way that families work, it finally is uh, given to you, and you're the steward of this thing now. Would you take that, that priceless, that, that meaningful, that significant heirloom and just place it under something, just place it under the couch? Or, oh, you can just put it under that stack of papers over there. That's fine. It won't, won't. You would take it and you would treasure it. But Jesus came into this world, and he was born under. Matthew 20, 28, even Jesus, the grown-up Jesus, the adult Jesus, when he was teaching, he put it this way, even as the Son of Man, that's a way he referred to himself, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, born under. There's this passage in Philippians that um, is kind of one of those go-to passages. Uh, This is Paul saying, he was encouraging everybody, uh, have this mindset of yourself that was the same as Christ Jesus. And he writes in, in uh, verses 6 and 7 in chapter, he, chapter 2, he writes this, though Jesus was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of humans, born under So this Jesus who was born, who was born under, was born under the law. Born under the law. Now the Christmas story is a great story. And we love the Christmas story. We we take um, at least four weeks in the church to to look at the Christmas story. We set aside the the season of Advent. Uh, Target sets aside three months uh, for for Christmas. Um, They love the story so much. But as great as this Christmas story is, we miss out on its meaning and its significance if we only focus on the Christmas story. You see, the story of Christmas began long before that. God had already been working and establishing what would then become that Christmas day. We could go all the way back to creation. That may be a, a wonderful place to start, but let's go ahead and start with the story of Abraham. We know that God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I I, I want you to go. I'm going to lead you to a place. And I'm going to bless you. I know you're old. I know your wife's really old. You're both old and you don't have a child, but don't worry. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your family. In fact, I'm going to bless all the families of the world through you. God came and established and he reached out. And we know that, that Abraham, it says, that he believed He had faith, he he trusted, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then some years went on, so God's working in this family of Abraham, and the descendants come along, and it comes to this time of Moses, and and God choosing, as he works with his people, and he's about to move them into a promised land, some four centuries after Abraham, God gives them a law. He says, listen, this is the law you're to follow. I've had... Other folks describe it this way, um, that the law is, was an extension of who God was. It wasn't just some random set of rules, but if you take God's character and it f- uh, flowed out in the context of that time, that the law would show the people what God was all about, the very um, 
nature of God coming forth in these commands. In fact, there's a section, it's a little bit longer section, but there's a section in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I encourage you to go ahead and turn to that in your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And and what Moses does in this text is he, he underscores just how important the law was. He says it this way, chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God and you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and all his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you get what he said so far? He says, listen, these are the commands that God has provided. He could talk about it in a singular, the commandment, and yet by saying the singular, he means all of them. He says, you do this, and life will go really well. It's, it's central to your relationship with God. This is not just kind of suggestions. These are not guidelines. These are the commands of God. Follow them for you to thrive. He goes on in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command uh, to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. With this, do you get that sense of how just central the law of God was to be for the people of God? Don't just think about it one day a week. Don't just think about it when you happen to be at the synagogue. Don't just think about it when when times are tough. Think about it all the time. God's very essence, very nature coming forward to them in these commands. So what went wrong? What happened that would require God to say, I'm going to need to send my son? to fix things. The Apostle Paul helps us with this. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, um, he, he puts it this way. This is in Romans chapter 7. I'll put it on the screen. Uh, verses 12 and 13. This is what Paul wrote. He goes, so the law, the law that God had given, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Paul, Paul tells us, listen, the law that God gives, because it, is, it flows from his essence, from, from his very nature, it's good, it's holy, it's trustworthy, it's, it's good, it's righteous. But the problem is in us that that. We carry forward in all of humanity, every single human, we carry this predilection to go away from God, to go against God, to, to prioritize ourselves, to be selfish, to be prideful, to be lustful. You could go on with the, to be gluttonous, to, 
we have this about us, that there's nothing in us that on its own would be able to make us right with God. The law is good, but people are broken. People are messy. People are sinful. And so Paul can write in Romans uh, 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me give a little bit of example of this, uh, the goodness of the law and the, the struggle of humanity. So I'm going to tell you something you already know. I am no Nathan Rodriguez. All right? So we have a lovely piano over here, a, a very nice piano. And, and we have great sheets of music, uh, music with words and notes and, and chords and all that kind of stuff. And, and the piano and the words and, and the bench, oh, it's got a great bench. Now Nathan can sit there and he can make that all work together that would bless all of us. He not only can read the music and play the piano and sit on the bench, but he can sing at the same time and he can direct the praise band. I can't do any of that. It's the same praise band, it's the same bench, it's the same piano, it's the same sheet music. But when I go over there, it would be painful to every single person. And so it is that God gives us this law and not one of us can live according to it. And so God provides one that could and that did. And he was born under the law. The fully God, fully human Jesus comes in, born under the law. Jesus perfectly lived out God's commandment. There's even a couple pieces at the end of the, uh, the Christmas story that talk about Jesus being um, circumcised on the eighth day and then, and then coming and being dedicated at the temple at the right time. And, and Jesus even grows and he says, listen, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus, born under the law. Then we're told that he's born to redeem. Jesus, born under the law to redeem. Born to redeem. You know, redeem is one of those great words, right, that we can use it for something as significant and big as our salvation, and then we can also use it for coupons. You know, we can, we can cut them out of the paper and take them out of the mail, and we run down the store, and we got oh, pockets full of coupons. Maybe we have a little coupon divider, and we pull them out, and we give them in. I like to redeem my coupon, please. Redeem. Redeem is to gain or regain possession in exchange for payment. It can mean a taking back. Well, a payment needed to be made. We know that in the law, God was already providing a, a means for correction. That God in the law described, hey, listen, I, I know that you're going to uh, break the law from time to time. I, I know that. I want to give you a system, a way for you to make sacrifices, for you to make a payment to atone for your sins, to, to do right by justice. You know, the problem is that, that humans couldn't keep up with it. Humans got distracted from that. They, they, they couldn't even abide with the law, even though it had been given with a way of correction. A number of you have lived in big cities. Uh, Vicki and I lived uh, in Los Angeles for a number of years, and it's considered a big city. And so you would find a sign like this uh, from time to time. It's one of those no parking signs. 
right? So you have to remember that there's a certain day of the week that you can't park on a certain side of the street between a certain set of hours because they clean the streets. I did look and find that as, as hard it might be to re- remember this particular kind of sign where it's one day a week, I also, uh, or one day, a month, uh, one day a week, there's this other sign here. This is from Rancho Santa Margarita. Um, so it says that you can't park on this side of the street on the first and third Mondays from uh, 8.30 to 4.30. And it sounds like, like with, uh, it has to be a, a fourth Thursday and the moon has to be in the waning position. You know, some, some kind of weird, weird thing like that. Um, well, it turns out there was this time I, uh, I, I forgot to follow the guidelines. <laughs> I left my car in a place where it wasn't supposed to be because they wanted to clean the street. And when I got up to go get my car, and I had somewhere to be, it wasn't there. And first there's that panic, like, who stole my car? But I had parked really close to one of those signs <laughs> and that said, no parking here because we're going to clean the street. Well, if you want to get your car back, you have to go down to the impound lot. And maybe this has happened to you too. You go down to the impound lot, and you've got to make payment. Do you know in Chicago they want 150 bucks for the towing and 25 bucks a day for the, the storage of the car, which, by the way, is only half of what San Francisco charges? Payment has to be made. If I want to redeem the vehicle, payment has to be made. The payment satisfies justice. Bob, we had set a, a law that the law was that you couldn't park here on a certain day because the street needed to be clean. And because we had to come and tow your car, there was a cost in towing it, and there's a cost in storage, and you need to pay that in order to satisfy justice. Or for the redemption of humanity, it took the one who did not have to die. It, it, it took the, the one who had no reason to die, that there was no, he was not under the curse but he became a curse. The law said, listen, if, if you live a certain way, in fact, the words that came to that first couple was, if you eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, surely you will die. And that, that death, that sin, has come into all of human life. But the one who didn't have to die because he never sinned, because he was also God, he came into this world and he died for us. This is the purpose for which Jesus came into the world. He was born to redeem, to go down to the impound lot and to pay the price to take you and to take me out of that, out of that bondage and set us free. He, God made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Born to redeem. Born to redeem those who were under the law. Born to redeem those who are under the law. Does this mean the Jewish people? Absolutely. Does this mean the Hebrews? Yes. In fact, that's where Jesus targeted his ministry. He went to God's chosen people, God's own people, and he preached and he witnessed and he ministered and he healed and, and he spoke and he corrected and he challenged. He came to his own people, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. And yet it was also to redeem not just the Jews and the, and the Hebrews, the, 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 the Hebrew people, the, the, the chosen people of God, but to redeem all humanity, all those who would believe in him. In fact, Paul tells us in, in Romans um, 
chapter 2, verses uh, 14 through 16, he describes how we're all under the law. He says it this way, for when Gentiles, that would be people who are non-Jewish, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. By the way, elsewhere it tells us we can't always trust our conscience. Also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men in Christ Jesus. In other words, everybody has the law. That, that the very existence of humanity, the very existence of this world, communicates the essence and nature of God to us. And so Jesus came into this world, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. You know, we began by talking about free stuff. Do you see how Christmas is a celebration of free stuff? Jesus came into this world to set us free, to redeem us, to redeem us from a situation where we had to earn, where we had to keep track, where we had to make sure, have we done enough today? Have we done enough? Did we fulfill it all? Did we follow it all? Do we have to make a correction? Do we have to make a payment? Instead, Jesus comes into this world and he was born fully God, fully human, and he would grow to give his life on a cross and, and to be raised from the dead in order that we would be set free. It makes a huge difference. You might be asking, what kind of difference does this make? You know, we still have to obey God, don't we? I mean, just like the people before Jesus, don't we still have to obey God? Absolutely, but it makes all the difference in the world. Before Jesus came, people began with that they had to begin with themselves. How am I going to live my life today in order to remain pleasing to God? How am I going to live my life today and conduct myself so that I don't err? How do I maintain this covenant with God? Because Jesus comes in this world and he's born under the law to redeem those under the law. We now begin not with ourselves, but we begin with God's grace. God has moved on our behalf. We no longer need to begin with ourselves. When we celebrate Christmas, God moved on our behalf, born under the law to redeem those under the law, to pay the price that we would be set free. It's all the difference between a trap and a springboard. The law itself wasn't the trap, but because of our sinfulness prior to Jesus, it, it, we were stuck. We were trapped. We could not make our way to God on our own. But because Jesus comes into this world born under the law to redeem those under the law, he now sets us free as like a springboard. He propels us into living God's love in this world. This Christmas, I encourage you, take up your free gift. As you celebrate Christmas, among all the other things that we might do, all, all the present opening, all the, all the meal sharing, all the conversations, all, all the fun things, would you add freedom to the list? Would you take that time to, to re-acknowledge, maybe to acknowledge for the first time, I am free because Jesus was born. I am free because Jesus, God, came into this world, born under the law to redeem those under the law. You are free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the story of Christmas is 
way bigger than a tree and gifts and food. And, and God, we ask that you would help us grasp our freedom. That, that you would help us know that we are so loved by you that to live out your heart's desires for our lives is simply a response to what you've already done for us, that our forgiveness is already established, that, that our future is already defined, that, that your promises are sure and faithful all the way. And so this Christmas, God, would we take this free gift and may we live for you the rest of our lives. We give you praise. In Christ's name, amen.